I welcome you to the Dr. Ward Bond Show, and I welcome those listening on my podcast, Life Changing Wellness. Today's show is brought to you by Prevagen, America's number one brain health supplement. So go to Prevagen.com to learn more about improving your memory. Funny How Life Works is the brand new book by comedian and actor Michael Jr. It is far more than a fascinating and funny behind-the-scenes peek at a comic's journey into success and significance. In it, Michael Jr. does what he is uniquely gifted to do. Tell stories that make you laugh, make you think, and inspire you. Along the way, he reveals intriguing glimpses into a comedian's process in crafting and delivering jokes, and then helps you understand how that process translates into wisdom for living that you can personally apply. Now, you're not likely to read anything quite like Michael Jr.'s Funny How Life Works. I've read every page and found his book to be my pick as the must-read for 2021. You will find a smile, a surprise, a miracle, and a life-changing insight on every page. So let's welcome his return to my show, the man who can deliver the funny, the punchline, and the message that will change your life. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the gifted (laughs) Michael Jr. Welcome to the show. Wow. Wow. That was an amazing intro. Who's your guest? (laughs) <laughs> you are the guest you you have wow. you literally that's have the word. platform today and wow i'm the one that's that's honored michael and it's glad to have you back uh, dude war thanks for having me man. you always do this stuff so well like you you really know what you're doing man. i really i'm 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 more than honored to be on the show man thank you so so much that was a great introduction man i'm gonna have you call my mom so you, so you can say it again, so she can start to cry. That is awesome. I will That's- do. I will absolutely do that for you. And, and you know, it's kind of funny because, <laughs> you know, after reading your book, and this is not even my first question, but since you kind of uh, opened up that door, uh, after reading your book, I really learned the truest process of what it takes to achieve excellence, and that's what your book. Uh, really mm. taught me is that uh, there's a process to get where we're going to uh, make our dreams come true. Absolutely. Wow, man. Thanks. You, so you, you're really, I'm impressed with the fact that you got the essence of the book because it's almost like writing a good joke. Some people think if you write a really great joke, a hundred percent of the audience, you get it. The truth is if you wrote a really great joke, only about 93% of the audience should actually get the joke. Now, the next joke, another 93% will get, but it'll be a different 93% because you want people to have to work to get it because that revelation is what causes them to really enjoy the process. So we wrote this book in such a way where people can get different layers of insight, but it sounds like you went all the way home with this thing and got what the full message really is, man. Well, I will tell you this. There were elements of the book that made me smile. There was an element mm-hmm. in there that really made me laugh, and, and we'll get to that. But there was a couple areas there that uh, made my eyes water. And, uh, yeah. and yeah. you know, and one of the things that after I read the whole book, because I'm going gonna, I'm I'm gonna to read it again, because there's something that I wanted to tell you about your book. I cannot wait, and I pray 
that you do this. Mm-hmm. That, but funny how life works would make a phenomenal devotional for a lot of people because you have different <laughs> elements in there that yes. are so, that there's so many teaching moments that uh, yes. I, I was a sponge reading your book, soaking it all in, learning new things mm. and gaining a great perspective because, you know, the Bible tells us to transform mm. our mind and to get out of old mm. mindsets. Romans. And Let's go. that's what your book is about. It's, it's yes. changing old mindsets. And for, and for every reader, they're going to gain a brand new perspective on what not only mm. life is about, but what, hard work will get you and here, here here's what you're really alluding to and you may not even realize this because what happens is when people laugh they're in the brain there's like a neural associate because you, your brain really only wants to do two things wait two two things it wants you to survive and it wants to gain pleasure that's it those are the two things the brain is after first of all survival and then pleasure so if it finds pleasure somewhere it will seek to look for what that is So when we wrote this book and added the comedy to the teachings and the elements, what happens is when you read the book, you'll get some stuff. But even afterwards, your brain is like, wait, is there some more of that helpful information around? Because it may cause me to laugh. The brain doesn't even know it's not the information that's causing the laugh. It is actually the comedy, but it starts to look for all of this. It is so cool that you get this in such a pure way. Like you are like your explanation is the reason we wrote the book. Like, wow, that means a lot, Ward. Thank you so much for getting this. Oh, That's really cool. you know, it's, there is so much more. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to really get in to this book. I'm not going to tell you all of the secrets. Michael's not going to tell you everything, but we want you to, I want you to buy this book and really mm-hmm. dive into it and not just reading it as Michael's autobiography, but let me, oh, I want to kick wait, I didn't this off. Your question. I'm yeah. Sorry. Wait, wait, I didn't answer your question. Am I going to do a devotional? The answer is 100% yes. We actually have this thing we're starting right now called Michael Jr. Storytime. And it's me reading the book online, live with some live chat. And people can go and they can register for it. And then we're going to take those bits and turn it in to a devotional. So if any of your listeners want to be a part of that, all they have to do is just go to uh, MichaelJrStoryTime.com. They can register and and enjoy me actually reading the book and then we go even deeper and take questions it's pretty cool man well we're going to kick it off right now because in your book and i want to quote this that when pe and and you said this in your book when people Mm -hmm. laugh their hearts are open and that's a perfect time to make a deposit in their life why is laughter Mm -hmm. so powerful well, it's, it's similar to what I just said, because when people laugh, their hearts are really, really open. It's almost like their guards go down. So we strategically put funny in here. And at the moment that their guards go down, so uh, that deposit can actually be made. And it makes them say, wow, I never thought of it like that. But if you show up with the information only, that person has to be in a position like if you take a class, you have to be in a position where you need that information. And you're sitting there, you're like, OK, give it to me, give it to me. But rarely does that really happen. But with comedy, everyone in the room is like, all right, we're laughing. And your differences don't matter as much when you're laughing. So it doesn't. So the fact that I'm, I am maybe African-American tall and I'm extra good looking and maybe the reader is like some little dude who I'm just playing. Like whatever the scenario is, because you're laughing, you can receive it like so much. More. In fact, if you think about it, the Super Bowl are the most expensive commercials. 
Well, their commercials are more times than not funny. The reason they're funny is because they understand when people laugh, they'll retain more information. But the information I want people to retain is how God made them and the fact that you have a purpose. That's what I want you to retain. And that's you why know, there's you, laughter wrapped around it. You brought up a great point because, you know, all the Super Bowl commercials, there's always something really kind of funny about them. But what happens the next Absolutely. day? We're all talking about them. We're remembering exactly. those commercials because of the comedy. Well, in your exactly. book early on, you know, early on in your book, um, you learned, and I was very impressed by this, and I was impressed mm -hmm. by your father because you learned the value of a dollar at the age of nine. <laughs> now, right, 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 right. are the parents of today giving too much to their kids? I would say, I would say yes, because if you look at the fact that a lot of kids, like I think the average age is probably 21 now of a kid who wants their driver's license. 21, I remember when I was 12, I was like, please let me drive because I wanted to go somewhere to see some stuff. But because we have so much access to so many things that are interesting on our phone, we don't desire to do more things where I was excited just to like snow was amazing. I could go outside and play with the snow. And then when my dad explained to me in chapter one, which is called 60 cents in an orange, when he when I had this desire to get this bike that my cousin had, that was amazing. It was a predator bike and the predator was like, it was the bike of all bikes. Like it was amazing. And I wanted this bike and my dad said, hey, uh, it was like $200. And I said to him, it's just $200, just $200 for a bike. And my, my dad just simply said, okay, if you raise half of it, I'll get the other half. I'm nine years old. How am I going to do this? So I go out and I decide to shovel snow at nine years old. And the short of it is, well, my first customer paid me 60 cents in an orange. And I was like, I don't understand what this lady is going through. It was an older lady. I think she was uh, Jesus' little little brother. So I don't, a little sister. Like she was old. But she gave me 60 cents in an orange and that was it. But the lessons that I learned as a result of that, like I went on that same day and ended up raising $91. And I went to my dad. I'm exhausted. I, I show him all my money and I showed him that orange that I was never going to eat. And I said, hey, dad, I got the money. And my dad says to me, you know what, son? I'm very, very proud of you. Tomorrow we can go get that bike. That's close enough because I was supposed to come up with half the money. I had 91. He said, all right, that's close enough. And I remember saying, I remember hearing myself say, Dad, I don't want to spend my money on this bike, which was crazy to me. The bike is everything I wanted, but my dad showed me that when you work for some money, things have a, the colors of objects have a tendency to change a little bit. So I just fixed up my schwuffy, which is which was half swin, half huffy, and I just fixed that thing up and then rode it the rest of the time. It was such a huge moment. So yeah, nowadays I won't say all kids. Yeah. There's a balance between how much you should give your children and then how much they need to work for. And the key that I'm I say to my kids now is you don't have to work for your money. You need to make, get to the position where your money can work for you. That's really the the difference that I'm tweaking for my kids. Yeah, and and I and I think if more kids would learn the value of a dollar, things would be completely different. And you know, I and when I read that story about the sixty cents in an orange, I could picture myself in front of my mm -hmm. old math teacher's house when I was probably I don't know maybe twelve or thirteen on a Saturday, raking leaves in mm -hmm. her yard, spending eight hours putting them into a pile like she wanted, and at the end of the day. After eight hours, 
I got $10 and I'm thinking, that's all? But, you know, I worked for it. I learned what the value is, but I also learned too, as you said in your book, always learn to negotiate the price before you start yeah. working. <laughs> That's what my dad taught me. He said, you got to learn how to negotiate your price. And then I, what I did mention in the book is after she paid me just 60 cents in an orange, I was really upset. And I actually, I think I may have mentioned in the book, I actually started kicking the snow back down on her sidewalk. <laughs> but then after, after I finished that whole hard day of, of shoveling, I went back to her house and reshoveled her snow. Then the next day it snowed again. And without ever knocking on her door, I went back and reshoveled her snow again. And I never even knocked on her door and asked for anything at all. So it just, I just learned so much from that hard work, man. It was just, it was so much to learn right there. And I think a, a lot of people, and the little funny things happen between, I think people will get a lot out of that story. Oh, absolutely. Now you said in your book that if mm -hmm. you'll have a mindset that is open to learn from your experiences, the obstacles of today can become the opportunities of tomorrow. So what can you mm -hmm. tell my viewers and listeners how not to let negative situations derail their journey to their dream. Yeah. So what you want to do, what I've done is I always try to do the math. I always try to, I work to think about what I'm thinking about. So what I mean is, is I explain sometimes even on stage, I did a, a, a Ted talk on this conversation. The way comedy works is there's a setup and there's a punchline. The setup is when a comedian will use all of his talents and resources to find an opportunity to get the audience to move in the same direction. And then once they're moving in that same direction, once he has them all thinking the same, he'll change the direction in a way they're not expecting. And that's the punchline. When you receive that, that's the punchline. So there's a setup and then there's a punchline. Well, life is the same way. There's a setup and there's a punchline. Your setup is about what you have received. You're married, you got this car, you got this degree, but your punchline is about what you're called to deliver. And a lot of people know their setup. You just look around, you can see what your setup is, but not a lot of people understand what their punchline is. Because mm. your punchline, again, is what you're called to deliver. And the, and the, thing that I, the thing that I've added to that to help people understand is even when I was a kid, I used to struggle with my reading. Even your setbacks in life are part of your setup so you can deliver the punchline you're called to deliver. It's, slimmer, it's similar to a slingshot or a born arrow. The further you've been set back, the further you can reach. The question is, what are you going to aim for? So you have to know what it is you're going to aim for. So then when you understand this, the setbacks don't set you back as far because you know that you can reach even further. The key thing, though, is when you're set back, just like a bow and arrow, you have to let go of what's behind you in mm -hmm. order to go forward. You have to be willing to let go of what's behind so you can go forward. So that's a big deal. That so even in the midst of that pain and that hurt, recognize that it, it, you're in the gym right now. It's hurting right now. It may hurt the next day, but you're going to be stronger as a result of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people need to drop the baggage or let go of the baggage and just walk away. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's funny because some of the, you know, a couple of things that I pray about every morning, I always bring it up, you know, Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But I say, mm -hmm. Lord, you know, may I set aside any pride May I leave behind all my insecurities because I become secure in you. So mm -hmm. we need to leave those things behind us that are holding us back because our future That's is cool. so much bigger. You know, what's so cool about that is I do this and your listeners, you guys got to do this. I'm telling you, do this. 
Whenever you have something heavy on you, as you talk about leaving it behind, this is what I do. Like I'll go somewhere alone, like in a house somewhere, in a closet somewhere, and I'll cry out and I'll be like, God, I can't handle this thing at all. I, just, I can't, you, you gotta take it. But instead of just saying, take it, I'll actually do a motion like this. And for those listeners, I'll actually play, move my hands as if I have something on my shoulders. And I'll literally, after my prayer, I'll lift it up and go like this physically. I believe when you do something in the natural, God is like, okay, in the spiritual, it takes care of it. And literally when you do that, after you've cried out and said, God, please take this, and then make that motion, you actually feel lighter as a result of it. Oh, I love that. I love that. Talk about whatever that is to God. Feel the weight of it. And then after you ask him to take it, literally lift it over your shoulder like that and then set it down and you will actually feel lighter. And then for you, even mentally, your brain will Will, be, will recognize that lifting motion with that and it'll feel the relief that it just had and it'll be harder to go back and try to pick it up. Amen. Your brain is like, why would we do that? That's pain. Why are we going back to this pain? And you'll and and hopefully it'll trigger. I'm not going back there. God already has it. It is so powerful to physically do that. You know, I love that because just by going through the motion of doing something like that, like you mm-hmm. just described, that's a life changer for so yes. many people. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, we need to go into an empty room, go into your closet. And, you know, God says, go into your prayer closet. You know, it's only you and me. And just Mm -hmm. do the motion if you have to. It's amazing how that will change our overall mindset. Now, there is something in your book that you open the eyes. I'm sorry. Let me say this real quick. So so specifically, the crying out part is big because God has a lot of kids. And if you're a dad out there or a mom and you have five kids and they all need something from you and they all need your help, one of them is crying. Which one are you going to go to for? One of them is crying, not just crying like because of their hurt, but humbly crying out because they need your help. Where the other ones are having a conversation with you. Hey, Lord, you know, how do I figure this out? How do I do this thing? How do I, how do I? And one of them is like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just need you, dad. I just really, please, please, please. Like just you as a parent, which one would get your attention immediately? Now God is omnipresent. He can talk to everybody at the same time, but which one's heart is in a position to really receive what God says? Because God may say, the issue is you keep saying, what do I need to do? But yeah. if you walk up, if you, re- if you remove the I, and just and turn it into an arrow and just point up to him, like, hey, just, just I surrender this thing to you. A, a, a good father, which he is, is absolutely going to respond. Oh, amen to that. Amen to that, mm-hmm. Michael. And you open the eyes of the reader that God has given us all the gifts, but many of those gifts have remained unopened. So How important is it for people like you and me to be encouragers to others so that their gifts can be opened and shared with the world? It's a big deal. We all know that person who is in a relationship that's not good for them or or they're, they're in a situation or a job or they're doing something that's not good for them. And we can see it, but for some reason they can't, right? And you try to talk to them, you try to have a conversation or whatever, and they just they're blind to it in that moment until something happens or whatever. But the truth is, is just like you can see that person when they're doing something negative. You can also see the potential in that person that they may not see as well. But more times than not, we're drawn to talk about the negative. 
But if we would just flip that whole thing and see what is awesome about that person and speak to that thing, it'll start to grow. So I actually would inspire, I would tell people, do the exercise, like look for somebody who seems like they don't know what to do, or maybe they, maybe they have low self-esteem, or maybe they feel great. And I'll do this thing called a, um, I do sniper prayer sometimes, where I'll see somebody, we never even have a conversation. And I see what's going on, and I will sniper prayer them in a minute. But more times than not, I feel like God will give me a word to say to them, not something all spiritual, but just some encouragement in the moment. I did this with a flight attendant a few weeks ago, where I was just, I was like, hey, I really just appreciate the way that you're you're really paying attention to people. I know there's a job that you have to do, but you're really like, like you're going to the next level and just noticing people, which is huge. Cause you don't, after in a job like that, you don't have to notice the people. It can be like when you get on a roller coaster and you're like, buckle your seatbelt, sit down, keep your arms in a ride and enjoy your ride. And you don't even see us as people, yeah. but she saw us as people. So I felt like I said, acknowledge the fact that she was doing that. And she almost had like had tears in her eyes just because of that comment. So be sensitive to what God is saying to do in the moment for other people who may need some encouragement. And you don't even know how deep it could be. They could have just gotten into a, a disagreement with someone who looks like you, right? And now oh, yeah. you come along completely countering what their brain was saying, people who look like you would normally do. And now you put them on a better path. I mean, just look for those opportunities to encourage. You know, I think if we keep in mind that if that we can bring value and we can bring appreciation to other people because just like that stewardess, maybe she was having that day. Maybe she was having that week where maybe she didn't feel valued or appreciated with all right. the work that she did. And you gave her the word that completely just really yes. touched her heart. And she will remember that. Yes. And the key part there is I didn't depend on the symptoms to tell me to do it. I didn't see anything about her that said, oh, let me say this. I just depended on God that there must have been something going on. I didn't depend on the, sympt the symptoms. So there's another story in the book that I really, really like a lot. But so, so when I'm on stage, here's what happens. I may be presenting joke number one, right, to the audience. But at the same time, I'm doing the math on what I think joke number two should be based off how people are currently responding to joke number one. And then I'll move on to joke number three and I'll start doing the math on what I think joke number three should be based off how they're currently responding to joke number one and probably will respond to joke number two. Then I move on to joke number four, even though I'm still presenting joke number one. I used to actually, Ward, I used to go seven jokes deep. Wow. And the question, and the question I would be asking is what joke can I do next to get laughs from these people? But then I met Jesus and I can't go as far anymore because I'm asking a different question. The question I used to ask is how can I get laughs from people? But now I'm asking the question, it started with me asking the question, how can I give people an opportunity to laugh? But now the question I ask is what can I give to my audience? So when I do that, while people are laughing, what I'm doing is I'm listening in between the gaps and I'm asking that question. When you ask a question, your brain cannot not answer the question. It just can't. Like, is there anything blue in the room or the car that you're in right now? Right. Like you immediately, your brain starts looking for blue. If I say to you, do not imagine a monkey, whatever you do, don't do it. Your brain can't not imagine a monkey. Everybody just saw a monkey, right? So I'm listening in between the gaps and I'm asking the question, what can I give to the audience? And most of the time it's comedy. It's something funny, but sometimes it's something more. Everyone listening right now, everyone watching right now in your life, there's gaps. 
What question are you asking in between the gaps? Are you asking what can I get or are you asking what can I give? And if you don't know the answer to that, you probably do know the answer, which is what can I, what can I get? So uh, one of the stories in the book, I'm on stage in Sacramento and I'm doing comedy, we're having fun. There's like 3000 people there, it's a great show. And I started listening between the gaps and I said a few things that didn't really fit a comedy show. But I know, like I know, it was exactly what that audience needed, mainly because of the response, but also because of the response of one individual. And Ward, I think you know what I'm talking about. The guy who approached me afterwards through, like, I finished up an autograph line. I'm in my green room and security comes knocking on my door and like, hey, there's this guy out here who really, really needs to talk to you. So I go out there and um, it's a white dude, like an Eminem looking dude, he all tatted up and it looked like he was hot. But as I got closer, I noticed he wasn't high. It was, he was probably crying because he, it just looked like he was crying, which is not abnormal at my comedy shows for people to cry. Either cry laughing or either cry because I said something in between the gaps. And this guy explains to me, and we go into details in the, in the book, but he explains to me, and I've never had this happen before, but he, he pulls me to the side and, you know, there's security there and stuff, and we're talking for a minute. And then he pulls me further to the side. And he's like, man, listen, I came to your comedy show just because I wanted to get away from all this stress, man. The world is stressful. It's a lot of stressful stuff going on, man. It's stressful. And he explains to me, and I'm just listening. And then he goes on in a few minutes and he explains to me that he is actually a fugitive of the law. Like he's wanted probably in a few states. And he came to my comedy show to get away from all this pressure. And then I said something in the comedy show that made him realize, and he wants to know if I would help him turn himself in to the authorities. Mm. Now I am blown away by this moment. Like I'm tripping, like what, really? And then I prayed with the guy and then we called the police, dude. He gets in the back of the cruiser and pulls off like the end of the movie where the guy looks out the window at you. Like he was, the, and I'm blown back. And all of it started because I was listening in between the gaps, asking the question, what can I give as opposed to what can I get? And please don't understand, I don't want the listeners to misunderstand this. It's great when you give from the hip. It's a game changer when you give from the heart. Like, can you give, it's, it's cool to give money, but there, but when you're listening and you're just asking, what can I give? It's not, don't default to money. Because mm -hmm. if I would've gave that guy some money, he would've been like, cool, man, I could, I could run a little longer. But I just showed up with my gift, <laughs> listening yeah. between the gaps. And then that's what happened as a result of it. You know, I think the chapter in which you explain that story and mm -hmm. And your book, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I want you to, not only do I encourage you to buy Michael Jr.'s book, Funny How Life Works, but when you read it, and, and Michael, this is, this is how I read your book. Mm -hmm. with, with chapter one, I, your, the first chapter, it allowed me to step into your shoes and mm -hmm. almost anytime you made a move, you were talking you were, and you were explaining things. I was moving along with you. And in that mm -hmm. process, I was learning what you were learning. I was learning what you were thinking. I was so learning great. what you were oh, feeling. So but when you got to that chapter in which you literally asked yourself before you stepped on stage about getting laughs, but what about oh. giving to get those laughs? You know, you know what can mm. I give? From that, from that moment, and I'm going to tell you this, 
from that moment on, every day, I have asked myself, Lord, what can I give today? Goodness gracious. What? Goodness. And, and that here's the thing. It's an open-ended question. Lord, mm -hmm. what can I give today? Now, just the other day, and I'm doing interviews all the time, and, and I mm -hmm. had a, a big interview, like I have this big interview with you, and, mm -hmm. uh, and I was going to interview a country music icon. And I asked myself that morning, I said, Lord, oh, what can I give to my guest, my esteemed mm -hmm. guest today, what can I give to them so that their light shines, but it is your wow. light that shines upon both of us and what mm -hmm. I'm trying to do for them. Because yeah, wow. they're already famous, but it doesn't matter because if I'm mm. interviewing you or somebody famous or somebody not so famous, the whole point is, is that the light shines upon them, <sighs> not me, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna give my best in what I do because what wow. I give is what they're desiring for me, and that's exposure to their own message for mm. those who are listening and watching. So that was one of the most profound wow. chapters in your book. Wow, man, listen, that thing, that little bitty tweak changed my entire life in how I do comedy. And I gotta tell you too, War, what, even in this interview, and I know we did the one for the movie I was in, I can, it makes so much sense that you say that. Because I can actually feel a slight difference in your interviewing process. It was amazing before, but even this time, there's a little more something on it that you can't articulate, and neither can I. But it is like a giving spirit, a giving mindset, even though before that was the case, too. I've had, uh, I've had musicians say to me the same, the same sort of things. They said, when I made this little shift right here, immediately the butterflies would just leave because think about why people get butterflies before they get on stage. It's because they're trying to get something. I Ooh, want them to like me. I hope you they nailed it. it. I hope they really, yes, because they're trying to get something. But if you're going up there simply to laugh. So, so tomorrow I'm going to, uh, I have a nonprofit called funny for the forgotten where we take comedy to homeless shelters and abused children's and all these places. So tomorrow we're going to be doing an event for some homeless people. Some of my comedian friends will be like, how can you do comedy for homeless? What if they don't laugh? That's just it. I'm not there to get laughs. Even if I go up there and no one laughs tomorrow, which I'm sure they will, but if no one laughs, at least they had the message of this guy who came there, got on stage and gave his gift to them. Like when was the last time they were in a room where somebody purposely tried to get them to laugh? Like, I don't know how God's going to use it. But when you have a gift for someone, your job is to present the gift. It doesn't even matter how they receive it. That part is really for you. You're just trying to get something. Think about it. When we give someone a Christmas gift, what do we do? We, we give it to them and then we stand there and look. We're like, okay, now give me a hug and tell me how awesome I am. No, 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 no. It's your gift. All you have to do is receive it. And if well, they don't receive it, you still did what you're supposed to do. Well, I'm, I'm going to bring this up because you just said something that kind of made me laugh. So mm -hmm. I interviewed this country music icon just the mm -hmm. other day. And I prayed that that morning, Lord, what can I give to so-and-so? Actually, I'll just tell you who it is. It's Joe Bonzel of the Oak Ridge Boys. And oh, nice. so after the interview, and it was a fantastic, it was a fun interview. And after the interview was over, 
there was something that I didn't know. And mm -hmm. probably about um, an hour later, I get an email from the publicist and I look up and the subject line says, Merry Christmas. And I'm thinking, it's March. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> so I opened up the email and it was one line and did not even know that Joe Bonzel had posted this on Twitter and I had no clue. So this is what Joe writes after our interview. He says, mm -hmm. the most pertinent, positive, refreshing, and inspiring interview ever. Thank you for having mm. me on, Dr. Bond. And I'm like, you do not realize what that did to me. <laughs> Ooh, um, uh, I'm you. trying not to have tears in my eyes now. And no, um, you're not doing a good job at not having <laughs> No, I'm not. But <laughs> but I was wow. stunned because I was just like, wow. And mm, mm, mm. and I just said, Lord, that's on you. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, well, so Michael, wow. that chapter, that very mm. chapter, what can I give? is a life changer. So let me ask you this because wow. this is, these are the words that you wrote in your book. If you mm -hmm. allow yourself to get into a place to change your perspective, you could see that experience was preparation or practice, mm -hmm. if you will, for something great. Now, many mm -hmm. people today seem to be wearing blinders and are hardened to the point, not wanting to see a different perspective. So does comedy allow you to offer others a different perspective? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Because when we're laughing together, you start to trust me. And then I have to be very, very uh, authentic and delicate with that trust. As a side note, anytime you laugh, you retain more information, as we said. That's why you should really be careful about what is attached to what you're laughing at. So be very careful about what TV shows you watch and what sort of things you're doing there. But what's super important is, yeah, laughter allows people to trust me, but I want to take them down a road where we can have an amazing time together and they can learn and be better as a result of it. We all have a gift, everyone. My gift is no greater than anyone else's. Like I just, the other person may not be able to make people laugh the way I do. My gift isn't any greater, but how am I going to use this gift? Am I going to, am I only going to get it to people who can afford it? Or am I going to get it to people who need it? Which is why we started the nonprofit, Funny for the Forgotten. So I think it's hugely important that people just understand if you can just tweak your perspective on what's happening, it will change everything. And I can help you with that at my comedy show. What you're doing is you're showing up at my comedy event and you're saying, hey, I'm going to laugh and he's going to show me some things a little different. Here's an example. Uh, on stage the other day, I mentioned how I went into a, uh, a place of business and they would not, and I know clearly they wouldn't serve me because of the color of my skin. Like, right. I just know that. Um, it, it was a tanning salon. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you got so, me so there. Here's what just, right, so, so, here's what just happened. You, I met, I, I took you down a road where you were like, oh, not another one of these stories. Oh, no, what did this happen? And then immediately I changed your perspective to comedy. There's a different perspective on anything, but more times than not, people will only give you the first part. I could have ended the sentence with they wouldn't serve me. I could have told you what city I was in, and now you're upset. But instead, I looked and I was like, hey, here's some funny. And because I took you on that ride, I can take you on another ride. You just 
as the consumer, as the person receiving the content that's coming at you, you have to be very aware that it's probably going to change your perspective one way or another. And you have to be prayerful about if this is a good individual to pay attention to, to help me get there. So is, is your comedy, and especially today, is your mm -hmm. comedy now become the setup for the message that you really would like to deliver? Yeah, comedy is the vehicle. It is not the destination. It is only a, a means to get there. It's a means to an end. Like there's something greater. It's a seasoning for the meal that God wants me to present to people. It's a good seasoning. People like it. But I really believe if you take away the meal and I just offer people seasoning, it won't be long before the things get kind of bitter and they won't be better. So well, I really got to make sure that the meat is what people want and I can deliver it. Well, I want my viewers and I want my listeners to realize, and I, and I want to kind of focus on this again mm -hmm. about the getting and the giving. And you had a very profound moment in your book. And I, and, oh. uh, and I can't, and I call it as what I call it. It was a God moment and tell you the truth. When mm. I, when I read it, God was talking to me because I knew exactly mm. what you were thinking. I knew where you were at. And you had done a comedy routine at a bowling alley with celebrities in attendance. But then God oh, spoke to you. And yeah. what did he say to you? Yeah, so God had spoken to me before this event. And uh, he said, listen, I have a, I'm going to use my platform to get you to get your career where I want, where you wanted to go, where it should be. And I received that, I was like, all right, Lord, that's great, cool. Meanwhile, we have a tendency, I had a tendency, whenever something, whenever people tell a story and they don't want it to be, uh, look like they did bad, they'll, they'll suddenly become French. They'll be like, we, what we do as a people sometimes, no, no, this is I, this is something I did. I had the tendency at the time to say, okay, Lord, I believe that. However, I'm gonna keep on hustling, right? So I got approached by this lady who wanted me to do a, her son's birthday party. And first of all, that's a red light immediately. I don't have big feet, I mean, I do, but I'm not a clown and I ain't got no red nose. I ain't doing no birthday parties. But then she explains to me, well, listen, I think you'll enjoy this birthday party. You should really consider doing it because my ex-husband will be there, uh, Will Smith and Michael Jordan, his family, and Eddie Murphy, they're all, they're gonna be in attendance. And if you do comedy, I think it could be good for you. So I was like, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have a nose somewhere. I could probably come up with a little red nose or something. So I decided to do this event. And I, my instinct was don't do it. But I decided, well, let's just do the event. So I go to this place. And um, first of all, the staging is miserable. It's just two end tables pushed together. The, the people were great. Let me just be clear. All the celebrities were there. And there are more celebrities than the ones I just mentioned. They were great. The setup was miserable. It was at a bowling alley. There was two end tables put together for a stage. There was a spotlight on me that only went halfway. And then it kind of looked at me like, hey, man, why don't you come a little closer? Like, it was just bad. And then there was a light. Like, I'm 6'2". There's a light over these two, this makeshift stage that is about six foot tall. And it's like a, not, it looked like I'm wearing a sombrero on the side. And, and I know this isn't the place to do comedy. So right before they introduced me, for the first time ever, and the only time actually, I literally rubbed shoulders with Eddie Murphy, literally. And I said to him, and he didn't know what I was talking about. The guys getting ready to introduce me, the places, you know, people are kind of gathering around and they're all standing up. And he says, uh, and I say to Eddie Murphy, I said, we're both about to find out this is not the place to do stand-up comedy. He didn't know what I was talking about. 
Then the guy says, Michael, the guy introduced me. He's probably going to be funny. He seemed like a cool person. Let's see what happens. Michael Jr. And I go up on this. I step up on these two end tables. We get into the details in the book. But I step on these two wobbly end tables. I don't know if I'm going to stay there. I got this hot heat lamp burning the scalp of my head every time I move it. So I got to keep moving. And then I grab the mic and the microphone is going through the PA system. And the kids are in the back bowling and you can't even hear me well at all. And I start doing my comedy set. I'm supposed to do 15 minutes, I think. And I start doing comedy and Eddie Murphy is there, like the whole crew, Michael Jordan's family, they're all there and they're watching and they're in this really small radius and I'm speaking and they cannot hear me. Mm. They can't hear me and I'm supposed to do another 14 minutes. And it was miserable. And then about six minutes in, they all break off into their little small groups because it's awkward for everybody. And just eight people up front, one of them is my wife, continue to listen to me. And while I'm suffering right now, I'm talking about suffering through this comedy set, I felt God say to me, you thought somebody in this room was going to take you where I said I would take you to. And in that moment, I felt amazing, meaning... I felt like, wow, God, you were so right. Like, I really was thinking man would do this. And this was probably 15 years ago when it was happening, or probably 10 years ago. I was thinking man was going to do something that, that God already told me he would do. So in that moment, while I'm on stage hearing God's voice, with those little eight people up front, and everybody else broke off, I, had an, I went on and did probably 25 minutes of comedy. It was the worst and the greatest show I had ever done. Ever, I learned so much in that moment of trying to be prepared. But yet God is like, what are you doing? Why? That's a treadmill you're on. You ain't even going nowhere. What you doing? So it was, it was a, it was with, with some details missing right now, it was a pretty significant experience for me. So it's, it, thanks for bringing it, that up publicly. I appreciate yeah, it. I mean, I learned a lot from that chapter because I knew exactly where you were at. Sometimes mm. I'm there where, you know, you're in a position, maybe you say yes to something because somebody important is going to be there and you're thinking, oh, yes. this could be my chance. And God's going, I'm the source. They're all resources. Uh, you got to keep your eyes looking into me. <clears throat> and Man, that is so good. You know, the so. resource? I see what you just did right there. Yeah. I'm the yeah. source and you're the resource? You can use that. <laughs> no, I am. Next interview. Watch. I'm going to be like, you know what I always say? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. God is the source, but we're all his resources because, like you said, we can take the opportunity to help somebody. You know, what can I give? Well, we are the resource, resource in which the source works through mm, mm, mm. to touch everybody around us. So if we all learn to give, if we all realize that we're the resource, then everybody's going to receive the very thing that they want. That is so great, man. Now, Goodness, that is good. Now, I'm going to prove to you that I actually <clears throat> that I actually read your whole book because on wow. page 195, <laughs> and this proves it, you wrote that we just need to take the next step even when we don't have everything figured out. We just have to be willing to believe it's going to work out. Well, my friend, ladies and gentlemen, that is Peter getting out of the boat and walking mm. on water. So, Goodness Michael, gracious. how can we break the barriers of our comfort zone like you did? <laughs> 
Mm-mm. So it, I would practice being uncomfortable. So for example, this is something really practical that you, people could actually do. Like, what if you approach somebody, if you have a hard time speaking to people like strangers, what if you just simply walk up to them and, and any somebody you don't know, like go to the mall for this reason. And just walk up to somebody and say, excuse me, could you, could you please tell me what time it is? Like, just take a little step. If you're super fearful of that, or if you're fearful of public speaking, like, what if you just said, okay, I'm going to go and watch a public speaker, but this time you watch it, imagine that you're up there. Like, do that little thing. Like, be okay being uncomfortable. Like, just practice little areas of uncomfortable, because here's what happens. I have this, uh, this teaching that I do where I tell people that it's like a, it's like an open mic teaching about purpose. And what I tell people to do is to, instead of jumping directly into that big thing you want to do, take a small step to get closer. So if you feel like you need to go, you want to go back to school, but you just, you feel like you're too old or it's going to be weird or whatever, just go up to the school. Like you don't got to register yet. Just go up to the school and walk around. But when you walk around, walk as if you belong there and fill it out. And then if it's the beginning of the semester or the uh, trimester, that's for pregnant women. No, that's not. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> actually go into the class and sit there. They don't know who's supposed to be there anyway. So just go there and sit there because what's, what happens more times than not is your brain starts to try to protect you. It's going to be scary. These people are going to be there. They're going to laugh at you. And you go there and you sit and then your brain is going to be like, wait a minute, this is not that bad at all. And you realize that it's really the enemy, a heckler, if you will, trying to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Amen. So if you get there, drop your shoulders and like, man, this is not really bad. I got this. Let's go. And now you've done a little bit of the uncomfortableness to see that it's really nowhere near as bad as you thought. And now you're prepared to press into that thing. So in, in the book, some of these things that I do that seem like they're way crazy out of line, like the one with the deaf lady in Nashville, that's because I've done a, some small things first listening between the gap. And then I was like, okay, let's just, let's just do it. That Nashville story. I don't know if you remember the one with the deaf lady. Oh, I remember. On, oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Like that. Like it is, even when I look back at that, I had a lady about a year ago approach me at an airport and she taps me on my shoulders and says, Michael Jr., she said, I was there, which is a weird statement to say. Like, where, you, where were you at? I don't, are you eyewitnesses? I don't know what you're talking about, lady. And she said, I was in Nashville at that show when you brought the deaf lady on stage. And, and as she's remembering it, she's tearing up. I'm tearing up too. Because every time I think about it, anytime I told a story like I do in a book, when I was writing it in the book, I got so much more details out of that moment. Man, I started getting emotional as well. Like it's All of this stuff is pretty powerful. But it started with me just saying, like in the mo in the midst, and we won't get into the details of the story. People I guess you guys just get the book. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, <laughs> but, um, Buy the book. <laughs> right. In that moment leading up to it, I'm having a conversation with God, even though I'm on stage doing jokes. I'm having this conversation with God, and I'm like, no, Lord, I'm coming up with all sorts of reasons as to why not to bring her up on stage. But none of them make sense. So I, but because I was already practicing being uncomfortable before that, I was okay being as uncomfortable as I needed to be to bring her up on stage. And then what happened, like the whole, the 2,200 people were all dumbfounded and silent, crying, cheering, all at the same time in unison. So that's why that random lady approaches me and we bonded in a moment when she said, I was there. I was at Nashville at the play. You brought the lady up. Like I hugged this lady. We don't, I don't even know her name. 
that was the weirdest, one of the weirdest interactions ever inside of an airport. I still don't know that lady name. We hugging, got tears in her eye. And she just <laughs> go to her gate and I go to mine. It's pretty cool, man. Well, now let, let's do something for everybody watching and for all of you listening on the podcast. Michael Jr., you, you actually create this exercise in chapter 22. And I, and I can honestly say I did it. So you set the reader up with the task of sending an email or a text to someone they love. But you mm -hmm. add a life lesson. And I'm going to let you explain. So ladies and gentlemen, what Michael's about to do, I did. So I did the <laughs> exercise, Michael, and I sent a text uh -huh. to my wife. And I said, mm -hmm. I, and, and I literally text her the very statement that you had in your mm -hmm. book. Man, and you part of me was just man. like, I even kind of felt uncomfortable. And I'm like, why? It's just my wife. But still, right. I, I did it. <laughs> and so I get a text back. Now, seriously, she was probably just two rooms away, but I get a text back and this is her response. Thank you mm. for telling me. I needed to hear that, my love. Man. Wow. How awesome is that? <laughs> man, that is, man, I feel like this, we're having an airport moment right now. Like we can't hug because it's online, but that is awesome to me. That is so, that's exactly what I'm talking about. See, I want people to take action. And the reason, one of the reasons you did it is because your heart was open because you've been laughing. You yeah. rolled through those stories together. And then for you to actually do that, man, that is, oh my goodness, listen. Yeah, but had, you said uh -huh. something in that chapter, though, uh, after you had mentioned, like, this is what you should email or text somebody that you love. Uh -huh. But you, you, you kind of, you dared us. You dared the reader because uh -huh. you said, you know, it's basically having that thought process. Is it something that I'm going to get or is it going to be something that Ooh. I give? And boy, when I went, when you said the get part, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to be in that crowd. You know, so I'm sitting there. I'm like, yes. I'm going to text, you know, and it's weird. Yeah, it's my wife. I love my wife. We've been married 32 and a half years. But why in the world did I feel uncomfortable by sending it? I don't know. But you know what? Praise the Lord. I got a beautiful text back. That's amazing. So what you did in that moment, right? Initially, your first thought was, what if this gets weird for me? So your first thought was about you. But then you consciously made the thought. No, I'm doing this to give. So now it doesn't even matter what the response is. Dude, you did exactly what I talk about in the book. So once you got past, it's not me, and you sent it, you got this response in a significant, that's exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. I had one lady contact me because she did it as well. She, she was on our, our launch team to help promote the book. And she did it, and she sent it to her sister, who she hadn't talked to in three years. Wow. And her sister calls her and they reconcile. What the deal? Like, it was amazing. I mean, it was so powerful. And then another lady, she sent it to her, uh, to her dad. And then she tells me, and this was, and she tells me face to face, I saw her face to face. She said to me, she had never heard her dad tell her he loved her before until then. Wow. Like, what the deal? Just from some random, the thing is, is oh, be, like God will use stuff like this at the perfect time. Like your wife needed to hear that at that time. Yeah. Had it been a day before or whatever the case was, like it would have probably would have had a different effect. Man, that is that blesses me more than I can tell you. <laughs> well, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, this is that if 
That is just one nugget within mm. Michael's book, How Funny Life Works. I mean, that's just one. And, and, and Michael, there are so many nuggets in this book that are so profound, but they're not complicated. They're not difficult. You're in a way pulling us out of our comfort zone in a way in which we can understand. But at the same time, you know, we get that foot out there. It's almost like tipping your toe into the water. You know, some of us may slip and fall in and get soaking wet. But hey, you'll end up drying off and it's okay. Yes. And, yes. but I want to bring up a story because when I read your book, there's a lot of things that, I mean, everything that you lived through, I understood. I almost felt like you were writing my autobiography in a way. But I want you to maybe spend a couple of minutes and tell me or tell all of us about Michael Richards. Oh, yeah. We all know him as Kramer on Seinfeld. And I saw him on Jerry's show about comedians getting coffee in cars. And it was mm -hmm. actually the best episode of all of those that Jerry Seinfeld did. But mm -hmm. I looked deeper as I watched Jerry's own episode. And I could tell Michael Richards was very remorseful about that fateful night in 20 in mm -hmm. 2006 but he mm -hmm. needs to know that more people love him so what can mm -hmm. you share with us about the power of forgiveness man it is so powerful so for those who don't know so michael richards kramer from seinfeld i talk about our encounter in the book and he uh we met probably we, we met for the first time maybe nine months prior to us re-meeting which and that sentence doesn't make that much sense, but you guys can work it out in your head. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, he's a gr he. So we meet, and it was weird because we barely like we meet just in in passing. I did a comedy set. He happened to be there. He said, "Hey, man, great set." I was like, "Oh, cool, thanks." Just a, it was probably two minutes worth of conversation. Fast forward nine months later, I'm getting ready to do a show with George Carlin. Mm -hmm. uh, this was before he died, right? I don't know if he, yeah, because. You can't do one afterwards. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, so there, it's a story about Mike. So, and then people probably know Michael Richards went off at a comedy club in Los Angeles, caught this guy that caught these people to N word, talked about hanging from a tree, all of this stuff. And it blows up and it gets really, really, really bad. Yeah. I mean, he's all on the news and all of this stuff is going on now. Nine months after we met the first time for those few moments, I met him again when I was doing a show with George Carlin. We had an exchange. We exchanged telephone numbers. This is the short, the super short version of the story. We exchanged phone numbers. We talked about God, just kind of surface conversation. So he knew where I was at. I knew where he was. And um, it, was, it was funny because that night George Carlin had done 15 minutes on why you shouldn't say God bless. Like I he know. Did 15 minutes on why you shouldn't say God bless. Now I went up after him. I was like, wow, give it up for George Carlin. God bless him. That's amazing. So anyway, it was, a, it was a great show. So we meet for three minutes at the beginning. We sit up until two o'clock in the morning with, with uh, George Carlin. He left early, but we sit up. And then about six months later, He's blown up all over the place, saying the N-word, going crazy. All of this stuff is bad. And I feel God say, call Michael Richards. 
And I'm thinking, I'm not, this message, you must be talking to Al Sharpton or something. I'm not, <laughs> that's not my job. I mean, I yeah. think Jesse Jackson is available. I don't, like, that's not, and this is me negotiating, right? This is me negotiating, saying, no, I shouldn't do this. This is me not just first-time obedience. Or, or me saying, what can I get? Or what's going to happen to me versus, so I go ahead and I call, man, and I don't know what to say, right? And I'm looking on TV. I, I, first of all, I don't even know that he's uh, about to do a press conference, right? So I called her, I call his number and his fiance answers the phone. I mean, his fiance, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a voicemail. Now, while the phone is ringing, I don't know what I'm going to say. The phone rings, voicemail picks up and I'm a little happy. It's the voicemail. Gotta be real with you. And what I said on the voicemail, I said, Michael, listen, I know I hear what you said, but I've spent time with you, man. And I, I just want you to know that I believe that you're a good person. I forgive you for what you said. And, um, if you need anything, man, give me a call. Just, just give me a call. Then I had the phone. I felt good. I'm like, cool. 20 minutes later, my phone rings and it says Michael Richards and I answer and it's his fiance. And she says to me, listen, Michael's about to do a press conference on CBS and all the other channels. Like it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And he wants to talk to you first. What? I turn on the TV. It's lights flashing and there's an empty chair. And I'm like, oh, and I get on the and he gets on the phone and you could tell his voice is all broke up. And he's like, and his words to me were like, buddy, you called me right. I have so much hate coming at me right now. So much hate. He said, you will never know what your phone call means to me right now. And then he starts getting choked again. And he says, I gotta go, buddy. He said, he said, you called me right. You called me right. He starts getting choked up. He hangs up the phone. I still got the phone in my hand when he walks out for the press conference. And I'm sitting here blown back and he humbled himself out, himself out in a way. And then we've been, we've become significant. Like we had an amazing relationship as a result of that time right there. And I'll say to anybody who wants to, I really believe he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that he was, he was in a, in Nam. And, and he had some stuff as a result of that, that he was still dealing with, even in that moment. He like, when someone attacks you, you attack, attack, attack no matter what, and there's no rules. So when right. he was on stage, he got attacked. I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm just no, saying, I, I believe at his core that he's a good person, like for real. And oh, more yeah. times than not, when it comes to the, even the, the racist issues on both sides or all sides or several sides, people have to ask themselves the question, are you really about justice? Like, because if you're about justice, you're not just looking at justice for you. You're looking for justice across the line. Mm -hmm. And if so, are you about justice or you're about just us? Like there's a difference between the two. Yeah, there so you is. You really have to be careful about what it is you want to do because what is God telling you to do? God has never ever said to me, ever, hey, I want you to go be a blessing to that white person over there. Or hey, see that black dude over there? Like he never mentions any of that stuff at all. He'll clearly ask me to do something for somebody and I'll clearly do it. Just like the deaf lady at the show. She was a white lady, like 54 years old. None of that stuff. God, God, point. he just simply said her. If he said that, I just knew who he was talking about. I knew I needed to bring her up on stage. None of that other stuff came into play. I could see with my eyes the difference, but I could also feel the similarities. And that's why we did what we did. Yeah. You know, even with you making that phone call to Michael Richards, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. that was another sign of you, you know, basically coming out of another area of a comfort zone. And, oh, and closing that door, because how many people at that moment 
especially if they're African-American, call up Michael mm-hmm. Richards and say, buddy, I forgive you for the things that you said. You know, mm-hmm. time, has, time has passed. I mean, that was 2006. It's been 15 years. I mean, if I was a comedy club owner, I mean, maybe I, I don't, I, I want to say it just because I'm white, but I would say, hey, Michael, come and do a set, you know, because right. I think Absolutely. sometimes forgiveness is also, it, it's an action. And, Absolutely. you know, we live in a world of cancel culture, which is the stupidest thing in the world. You know, my gosh, does that mean all of our skeletons in our closet are going to come back and haunt us? Does that mean that Jesus hanging on the cross didn't matter? Well, it does. And, right. you know, so let me ask you this, because, you know, how can all of us be mindful of the fact that someone is always listening to carry ourselves as a reflection of Christ? Mm. So uh, the question that you blew up, even in my mind, and I can see it now, as did our country music friend, is if you're asking the question, how can I give? You're going to find more opportunities to do that. And, and, and it'll probably be something completely different than what you would have expected. Like, you know, and in doing that, because when Jesus was walking as when he walked to earth, he was not saying, oh, man, how can I how can I get some uh, attention by healing somebody? <laughs> he was constantly saying, what can I give? Yeah. Like, like for real, he's like, Father, what can I what, what would you have me to do here? Oh, they need wine. Oh, OK, I'll make some wine. Oh, there's healing. Oh, I'll do that. He was asking, what can I give? So if you just would ask that question, you would by default look more like Jesus. You would by default look more like a Christian. Even if, even in the midst of an argument, if you, if you, in the midst of an argument with your spouse, if you were able to get to the point where you can say, okay, what can I give in this moment? It would change the whole thing because in an argument, everybody's like, I want you to listen. I want this. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. But if you would just say, okay, what can I give? Or just say, what can I give even before walking into the house? I know it sounds so simple. Like, why, what does this, like, I like giving all that. I give money. I give this. I give that. You give when you see the symptoms. Mm. I'm talking about asking to give before you see the symptoms. That, so I did an event once. Oh, man, I've never even talked about this live before. I don't know if I, so I did this event once. Man, you're getting something I hadn't shared with anybody. This is supposed to be in my next book. So I'll put it in there. But I did an event, and it was a, it was a different event because I'm really called to inspire people to walk in purpose. That's what I'm really comedically inspire people to walk in purpose. Amen. So I did this event, and I and I and just to open the event up, I said, "Listen, guys, this is going to be a little different. We're going to laugh, but I also want you to understand where you are with regards to your purpose." And I explained to them, "There's three there's three ways I create comedy. There's there's a um, there's a premise, there's punchline, and then there is improv. Those are three ways I create comedy. But the three ways some people find work." find their purpose is the same way improv you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing so you're trying a bunch of different things it works for a moment but it doesn't work it doesn't last long then there's a premise Ooh, this is what i want to do but you were thinking about what you wanted to do as opposed to how you could help people and then so now you got this degree in the thing you wanted to do and now you don't even like it you don't even use it the best way to start is with a punchline in mind so i explained that to the audience and i said let's see where you guys are at because whatever your purpose is it's going to be about giving to other people but let's just see where you are so I said to the audience, when was a, of all the people in here, it was a small room. It was like less than 100 people in there. And I said, uh, because I was testing this thing out to see how it would work, and we're going to expand it soon. I said, how many people in here have seen a homeless guy in the last uh, two weeks? Everyone in the room raised their hand. I was like, cool. 
So how many people here have seen a homeless person in the last uh, week? Everyone raised their hand. I was like, what about the last day? Everybody raised their hand. Now we're, we're 20, 25 minutes into this, into people being here. And I'm like, how many people have seen a homeless guy in the last hour? Everyone raised their hand. I was like, how many people in here had a conversation or some interaction with the homeless person? Only two people raised their hand, a couple. I said, what was your interaction? They said, well, we prayed with them and we, uh, my husband went and got him some food and we gave him some money. And I looked at the couple and I said, that is amazing. I know that you did that. I said, what was the homeless guy's name? They said his name was Andy. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you did that because Andy works for me. We put him outside, right, right outside the doors of this event. What were the rest? What were the rest of you guys doing? Oh wow! Wow! And I explained to him. I didn't say that to make him feel bad. I said that to help him understand that they're not good at improv. Improv is when you're trying to spontaneously do something and you don't have a plan beforehand. You're just doing it on the spot. But if you ask, what can I give in advance? When you walk out the door, when you get out the car, you'll be prepared for that. If those people were sitting in their car thinking, what can I give? Or they made it part of their primary question in the back of their head, they would have already been prepared before they left. The Holy Spirit would have been like, I want you to take a can of potted meat and put it in the back of your car and just trust me. And I was back there. And now when, it, when they see that, they're like, snap, I got that potted meat. They're in pre prepared. But nobody else, there was one other guy in the car, I mean, in the crowd who said, you know, I had the thought to go back and give them this gift card that I had in my glove compartment, but I didn't want to be late. Yeah. But I didn't want to be late in that moment. So there, so I did that to explain to people, like there's always opportunities. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean you always give to the homeless person. It just means you ask, what can I give? And in that moment, God may not even say give to the homeless person, but at least you know you're walking in obedience because it's okay not to give when you shouldn't give. But if you just walking around trying to figure it out in a moment, as opposed to premeditatedly saying, what can I give? You'll, you'll always be in a better position if you simply ask that question. I think the title of your next book is simply, what can I give? And <laughs> you get that one for free. <laughs> wow, that is dope. Because if we, if we can start, you know, I, I'm one of the biggest believers in mm. learning to change your mindset because mm. we live in a world in which media comes at us all the time and manipulating our thought process. We're walking around with our eyes staring at our smartphone instead of looking up and missing the whole world as it goes by. And I have to remind myself, we have one life. We have one shot at this one life. Everything that we do matters. And instead of sitting around and letting time pass us by, why not get out there and do something? And, and Michael Jr., your book is literally a guide for the readers, for dreamers like me. Um, mm. Because I want everyone to know hmm. that God said that if you delight yourself in me, I will grant the desires of your heart. Hmm. So everything that we ever dream of is obtainable. But most people never think that way. So, you know, we read the word not just to read it. We need to read the word to transform our mind. So I fell in love with your book.
because it pulls us out of our comfort zone, not dragging us by a chain, and I'm probably a bad analogy, but uh, you're giving us the opportunity in small steps <laughs> to get out of the comfort zone and go, wow, I did that. And then we move on to the next step. But your career is this great story that shows that all of us realizes that God said, I bless hard work. You were working hard at the age of nine because you wanted this awesome bicycle, but then you learned the value of a dollar and went, wait a minute, I like having $91. Why blow it on the bike? I got a bike. So that lesson goes on. I mean, you tell stories in your, in your book when you were in the pit. I don't want to give that away. That is the, one of the most awesome stories in the whole book. But uh, wow! Hey, can we? Uh, we should yeah. probably talk about football because I don't. We just two grown men crying right now. Getting on. <laughs> yeah, we have to. <laughs> man, you, you're. Uh, it, it bless. I can't tell you how much it blesses me. How, like, I'm gonna probably use this interview just to help people see how, like, what the book can offer. Like, I'm gonna use it because of what you've gotten from the book because this is exactly 100. When I sat down and wrote, funny how life works. This is what I wanted people to take away. Like you, you checked all the dots, like every single mark, like completely. Like you get it in your, you get it because you're giving it. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Wow. Now that mm -hmm. I didn't, <laughs> I did not expect, but uh, yes. you know, there are stories in there um, that, oh my gosh, I could literally just go on and on and on but you know you have and I, I'm gonna bring this up real quick because I, okay. I wanted to uh, let everybody know how God works so mm -hmm. I took a whole chapter created mm -hmm. a question so I had to cram your whole chapter into something small enough and hopefully people will understand and maybe you can make a comment on it because I know we're basically out of time but you got an open mic night in New York City. Then mm -hmm. comedian George Wallace shows up, invites you to his own comedy club in New Jersey. You show mm -hmm. up and Jerry Seinfeld is there. Then you mm -hmm. go out, kill the two sets, and then you get invited to church. But you turned down the invitation from the club manager to go to church. But she said yes to his wife who also invited you. <laughs> then the right. bouncer gives you a loaded handshake with more money than you probably made in a month, but then you mm -hmm. go to church and then some mm -hmm. woman out of the clear blue gives you a Bible in a convenience store mm -hmm. when the thought crossed your mind, but you read it from cover to cover. You shared mm -hmm. with us how difficult it was uh, growing up uh, reading, mm -hmm. but then as you read the Bible, and this is one of the parts of the book that I absolutely laughed. You thought Jesus died four times but yeah, I can let true. you explain that one. But then yes. you give your heart to Jesus. So yes. it sounds like a God-ordained week that the Lord showed in many ways he had your back. Absolutely. Completely. Lutely. Absolutely. From the gate to the, I mean, first of all, that was a great synopsis of that entire story. I mean, he smashed in like every single detail and then leaving like you really did a setup for what actually is the greatest punchline of my life, which is where I gave my life to Jesus. Like that right there is 
it. Like when that happened, I understood why it was funny. And it's true. I read the Bible and I, I did. I thought Jesus, because I'd never read, I had I had never read any book from cover to cover before, before reading the Bible. So I was putting in 12 to 14 hours a day reading the Bible. So I'm I'm digging into God's word. And it was so it took me 36 days to read the Bible. And I remember getting to the part in Matthew where it said Jesus died for me. I didn't know till I was 27 years old that Jesus died for me. I actually didn't know. Then I remember turning to Mark and he died again. I was like, what in the world? And then Luke and then when you get to John, I'm like, why are you going back in the garden, Jesus? Like, you know what's going to happen? I don't understand why you're going back in there. So I, I remember finishing up the Bible and I remember going to, to church on that Sunday, like during the announcements. And I wanted to give Jesus to my life during the announcements. I was like, hey, can I do this right now? And now I understand stuff. I used to just think I was funny. But now I understand I'm funny for a reason. Like God has a purpose for me having a sense of humor, just like he has a purpose for everyone listening with the skills and the talents you have. And even the setbacks, even your setbacks, again, are part of your setup so you can deliver the punchline that God has for you. The key there is to not murmur and complain while you're in the wilderness because there is a promised land. But the, the way to get there in the shortest period of time is by changing that question from what can I get to what can I give? That will get you there um, much, much faster because the promised land isn't necessarily a geographical location. It is a heart situation that you need to be in to truly get to where God wants you to be so you can deliver what he has for you to deliver. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you may not know this, but when this, when you actually see this episode, Michael Jr. and I have absolutely recorded this on Good Friday. Um, <laughs> the very day that Christ walked out of the garden, and we know what happens on Good Friday in which he hung on the cross, he died for all of our sins, but before he took that trip there, he took 40 lashes upon his back mm. that by his stripes we were healed. But he took every sickness, he took every disease, and he took it with him, and he nailed it to the cross. So all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases, well, we have a healer. And many of you believe that, yes, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, but he is the ultimate great physician. He is our healer. And Michael Jr., um, <laughs> forgive me for the tears, wow. but brother, Dude. your book, Dude. Funny How Dude. Life Works, it's Good Friday. So how could we do better than that than to promote <laughs> your amazing book, wow, a life man, story that in which we can put ourselves, put our own feet into your shoes and learn quite a few things. Any last words before we go? Man, even with what you're saying, how I talk about in, that there's a setup and there's a punchline in life and even your setbacks are part of your setup. The greatest punchline story ever, 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 ever is the story of Jesus. If you think about it, he was the king, actually the king of kings. And everyone knows that you are to serve a king. That is the direction the audience was moving. But what did he do? He changed the direction without people expecting. He went in the opposite direction and said, instead of you serving me, I'm going to serve you. He climbed up on the cross and he died for our sins. That is the greatest punchline story of all times. And for everybody listening and watching right now, 
He also knows your story. He knows your setbacks. He knows your setup and he knows what it is you're called to deliver. And he knows that you can get it done. All you have to do is transfer. Be, be great with renewing and transforming your mind so you can deliver. And it starts first with receiving him and then asking the question, what can I give? Amen to that. I'm going to leave it right there. Michael Jr., I want to thank you. It's been an wow. absolute honor and a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you for giving wow. us your time. Ladies and gentlemen, Funny How Life Works is Michael Jr.'s brand new book. And I want to tell you something. It's a hit. And you need mm. to buy it. You need to read it. You need to live it. And uh, mm. it is going to be it's sold where all books are, can be found from Amazon to Barnes & Noble. You, you name it. Go buy the book. When Michael Jr. comes to your area for a show, bring your book. Stand in line. Have yeah. him autograph that book. Buy a T-shirt. And I know the T-shirt story, Michael. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. That story got me crying. It got me crying <laughs> when I was typing it. We can't get into it, I know. Oh, my no, goodness. No, no, no. But, ladies and gentlemen, there, are, there, was so, there is so much in Michael's book, Funny How Life Works, that even though we've spent over an hour talking about it, there is so much more that is going to bless you, make you laugh. And there's even a miracle in that book that we didn't even touch on because yeah, yeah, I wanted I want you to buy the book because I want you to believe that miracles still happen today. Even when I read oh, it, I know yes. that our maker, our creator, that there's nothing that he cannot do. And I can tell you one thing, there's a little story in there in Michael Jr.'s book, Funny How Life Works, that proves that miracles, miracles still happen. So again, thank you, Michael yeah. Jr., for your presence thank upon you so our much. show. You've been Dude. an absolute blessing, brother. So when the next book you comes out, completely amazing. I want to be the first in line to interview you on your second you book. <laughs> you are. You already are. I'm just going to stay on hold right here and just wait for the book to get done. We can stay hey, you just do that. So <laughs> I get, brother, you be blessed. May, many blessings to you, your wife, your children, and, and the, the very purpose and destiny that God has for you. It's bright, 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 full of his glory, full of his glory. Thank you so, so, so. very much. And if anyone wants to get a, a experience of me reading some of the stories from the book, you can just go to uh, michaeljrstorytime.com and I'll actually read the book to you. It's, it's pretty cool. So michaeljrstorytime.com is pretty cool. All right. I'm going to be going there Lord, myself. You're amazing. <laughs> Lord, you're amazing, dude. Like for real, like you really, really are like doggone like this, like, I just really appreciate you, man. I mean, because it, it, it inspires me so much to be sitting with somebody who got it like like I wanted. Like, because you don't know, I'm just trying to be obedient and doing what God said to do and to sit with somebody who got the thing on the levels that it also moved me when I wrote it. That That is more encouraging than I can explain. Well, just tell Oprah. <laughs> I'm gonna go before we start crying again. I can't cry for three times. Oh, well, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, again, actor, comedian, author Michael Jr. And I want to thank mm -hmm. all of you for watching the Dr. Ward Bond Show, listening to Life Changing Wellness, as we are known as a different kind of wellness show, as you can see and hear. And remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body, your mind and your spirit right. Have a blessed day, everyone.